This is uh, Spinning Spokes with uh, Adam Chandler. And I'm, I'm, I usually introduce my guests, but I'm going to let you introduce yourself because, to be honest, I don't know if I can call you by your first name or through your adventure. Right sure. Um, feel free to. Well, my name is Drew White, <clears throat> but on the Adventure Riding Forum, I use Akiyaseki, which is the name of a comet. And uh, it turns out that that was my mother's good timing to uh, have me on the day that that comet came oh, along. A cool backstory. So yeah. was it? Uh, so it was a visible comet. I assume you could see it. It was considered, from what I've read, to be the brightest comet in the last thousand years. Okay. And uh, on wow. the day that I was born, kind of like right around to the hour, it blew up, hit its perihelion orbit, and exploded into wow. the sun. One piece has gone somewhere. And at what point? Like at what age did you? learn that date and sort of decide it was, to adopt that idea. It was actually a lot later in yeah. life. I was just, you know what, I Googled my name. Yep. I Googled my birth date, rather. Oh, okay. And uh, that's how it came up. And I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. Sweet. So what was it again? What was the alias? Uh, Akia Seki. It's the name of the two Japanese astronomers who discovered oh, the okay. uh, comet. Which is why there's a dash between its two last names. Exactly. Okay. Uh, so, and so everyone is aware, the reason why I, I'm having you on today is because... I have really enjoyed uh, your previous trips on Adventure Rider. You've 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 done a great job of sort of bringing us along for the ride. But you don't just say, "I went here. Here's a photo of a bike. Here's a chili cheese dog." <laughs> yeah, right. You you actually bring people down the the. I'm not going to say spiritual, but almost philosophical journey. Yeah, sure. Trip and I, and since when snow flew. You've like actually kind of taken us on this journey of prepping for your ride. You know, T minus 150 days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's that, I wanted to talk to you about trip planning, your upcoming trip, and then we'll see where it goes. So what, what are you? Where are you leaving in four and five days? Well, um, so I have this grand idea of just checking out the United States by as much dirt as possible. Mm-hmm. So. On July 5th, when everyone's hunkered down by their barbecues, <laughs> I expect to sneak my way up to the top of the, uh, or the ending point of the New England BDR yeah. and follow... Maine, right? It's actually in New Hampshire, I think. Okay. It's right okay. south of the uh, boundary uh, mm-hmm. between Canada and New Hampshire. Okay. But follow it back. I think it's 1,300 miles. And you're following that to New York? Yeah, okay. Bish, okay. Bish, Hancock, wherever it is. Yep. And then uh, then I'm going to jump over to the Mid-Atlantic, mm-hmm. ride that down to the Trans-America Trail. So the Mid-Atlantic goes, I think, south of Virginia, and then you usually keep going to Tennessee. Is that the next layer? Sure, it pretty okay. much follows. Uh, I've ridden a version of the Trans-America Trail through mm-hmm. the, that Appalachian Corridor, and I think the Mid-Atlantic is similar in some ways. Yep. <clears throat> so it's, you know, it's just, uh, I think, uh, just under a 1,000 miles. Oh, and it's important to ask, what, what bike are you doing this on? Oh, um, well, I'll be doing it on the um, KTM 790 Adventure yep. R. And we have to get into, everyone wants to know about modifications, even though sure. uh, after you've done this for a while, you may, you may feel like you don't always have to modify everything, yeah. but I know that you go to great lengths, but I think most of it just comes from experience of things you've learned from your past trips. Uh, well, sure. It's a combination of uh, what you learn from research, checking out what other people do, what people like you do, and and also just getting out there and finding out what works. Yeah. And like a lot of people, you know, you, you get gung-ho and you go out in the first time and you're overloaded, overweight, <laughs> plowing through. Yeah. And I and I rode the uh, Trans America Trail in 2017 on a mm-hmm. 1200 liquid cooled BMW, 
And it was a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun. And I think that's why I started following you on YouTube, is I found some of your older videos. Yeah, probably one of my crashes. That's right. I think that, <laughs> Excuse that, me. Was that, were you the guy that was in the sand? Yeah. Okay. So we, we got And we got to go back to that, because that, for how wildly, like, abrupt chaos that was, right. there's not enough views in that video relative to the amount of, yeah. like, butt pucker. Yeah, that was a good little crash, and just a, a tiny background around that, I, you know, I uh, have a background for enduro riding and mountain biking, like tens of thousands of miles of mountain biking. So when I got on my 1200, I thought I'd sling it around like a normal dirt bike. Yeah. And you learn very quickly that it's just a counterbalancing maneuver and lots of other things with that bike. But uh, I was in Tennessee going through um, a bridge out area mm -hmm. where there was a little bit of rubble. So yeah. I was going literally through a stream and I, I stopped on a dry spot, put the kickstand down, mm -hmm. got on foot to take a look, you know, cause there was a fork. Yep. And when I walked back to the bike, I had already just decided which way to go. I went to sweep the kickstand out and it was Riverstone and I, the bike came down and if you, I know you know the 1200 layout. How heavy those things are too. Well, the cylinder caught me right on the knee and oh. it, dropped me to the ground and bent wow. my knee 90 degrees. And you weren't even in the first 500 miles of the TAD at that point. I was seven, well, I was in Tennessee, so okay. I was, well, in the TAD, yeah, but from my home, oh, I was yeah, yeah. several thousand, well, 1,500 yeah. miles or so, 1,700 miles from mm -hmm. home. And I, Adam, I saw my knee go sideways, 90 wow. degrees, and it dropped to the ground. Did you tear anything or was it just a pull? Well, um, it turned out that uh, I went to an orthopedic in Mississippi, and he was pretty sure I tore my ACL. Mm. He said, you have a non-ACL dependent knee, so if you can handle the pain, you can keep going. Wow. And for the next 10 days, I did a little recuperating, uh, and I could only reach down and grab my, my pants, lift my leg up, and put it on the peg. So when I'd come to a stop, I'd... Hopefully, I wouldn't have to stop, you know, do a California yeah. stop. Yeah. But if I had to stop, I'd have to reach down, grab my pant leg, pick my leg up, put it on the ground, and wow. try to stand up. And how many miles or days later did you have your epic crash? Was that, was that Oklahoma or one of those? Yes, yeah, so it wasn't much longer. And, and, yeah. and I was so I was in Oklahoma. I was cruising along. And, you know, Adam, the interesting thing, as you know, about the West is suddenly it stretches out. <laughs> yeah. Telephone poles are no longer right after each other, like miles apart in a and sense. You're going fast. You'll go faster yes. with the scenery that fast. Sure. And, and I had gotten a little comfortable, too. I took my jacket off when I was in Arkansas because mm -hmm. I was crawling at, you know, 20, 25 miles an hour. And was it hot as hell or was it a normal day? Super hot. Okay. So, and uh, I remember looking at my watch and saying, geez, I'm tired. It's time for a rest. It's time mm -hmm. for a stop. Yeah. And uh, I'm still speeding along 50, 55. And Oklahoma is pretty flat. But mm -hmm. for what there was, there was a slight rise. Mm -hmm. And I was coming up the rise. I kind of veered to the right a little bit just in case there was one of the infamous yeah. white F-150 pickups barreling the other way. Yeah. There wasn't, but what there was was on the other side of the rise was a, a pond of silt had started. Mm -hmm. And I was just so tired, I thought I could ride it like a pizza peel through, and it caught me and slammed me to the ground. It looked like, so if I started watching the video when the crash happened, it looks as if you have no wheels at all. Your bike just goes. There's not, there's a little bit of a warning. I guess the handlebars do something funky. Well, my back tire was side to side. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was basically a, a huge death wobble. And 
I was at four o'clock and eight o'clock on the back tire mm. before I finally went down. Mm-hmm. And then it was just roll, roll, roll. Yeah, it looks, it, it, I think the, the part that makes that video really, uh, uh, in my memory, it stands out is because when you get up, I realize, oh, this guy's alone. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh my God, I hope this guy's leg isn't broken because, you know, now you're, it's almost, cause it's basically sundown in about an hour, I can tell from the video. It's right that, that moment where you got to make camp. Yeah, it was, uh, it was the end of the day in a couple of different ways for me right then. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I just found a hotel maybe within 10 miles, hunkered down. And uh, I had an abrasion uh, on my left side down low above mm-hmm. my hip and a little bit of a tweak in my shoulder. But otherwise, I was okay. My knee survived somehow. That's, you know? that's great. But, uh, Adam, what was interesting was for the next three or four days, the, mm-hmm. the, the uh, edema I had, the swelling was so intense, I had to tape it down to stop it from bouncing wow. while I was riding. And I, I assume you were probably wearing your, at least your, your full boots. So that probably saved your legs and the pegs uh, and all the yeah. other stuff. Came well, full face it. helmet. And yep. I had all the gear except the jacket. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess the silk did, did its job. Yeah. Um, so I think that was my first interaction or engagement with you was just seeing that video. We talked via private message, I think. Cause I had, sure. I don't know how that came about. Um, so back to your trip. So once you get Tennessee off the uh, Mid-Atlantic BDR, you're hitting the TAT. Correct. Uh, everyone always asks which route, which TAT track you're going to follow. Well, I have uh, both tracks on my XT, so it's really just a question of what I'm in the mood for. Mm-hmm. And so I'll mix it up okay. and follow what goes along. Yeah. That, a lot of that, it comes to weather. Mm-hmm. You know, if I know something's happening and there's a diversion I can take, I'll take it. Okay. And then uh, you're going straight across. You're doing the whole thing. You're going straight to, to Portland or Oregon? Sorry, Oregon. Uh, Port Orford. Yeah, that's and, the plan. And then I saw from there you're taking the north to south BDRs. Are you going all the way to Southern California on BDR? Are you well, the, yeah, I have. You know, I, since we're talking a little bit about planning, mm-hmm. I will tell you that the only reservations I've made in advance are five nights on the beach in Oregon. <laughs> Because if you've ever been there, you'll find you, trying to walk in is crazy. It's mm-hmm. so hard. You need a reservation. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, from there, uh, the Oregon backcountry discovery routes, which aren't part of the other BDR org, okay. uh, and then the Washington and Idaho, I expect to be up at the top around September 16th. Okay. And then come down into Nevada. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take Nevada halfway to Tonopah. Okay. I think that's how you say it. And then over to the California BDR. Mm-hmm. So, so and from, go south. So from July 5th, what is your, if you, if you had to give a date, what's your estimated completion date and mileage for this trip? Well, I think with little bits of side trips that I have in mind, because I'm going to do a lot of fly fishing on the way, I'm going to be in Yuma, Arizona, second or third week of October, 15,000 miles, mostly off-road. And I remember thinking to myself, um, when I when I saw your trip planning thread go up, and then I read the description, I thought, well, I can't go with that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get away for, I think a week is about the most I can do yeah. where people start asking questions. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, your trip is definitely something that um, it, it's, it, it's almost like while, it's like when you're doing motor work, it's like while you're in there, while you're out there, you might as well do these things too because you're there. Yeah. Um, how do you plan on getting home from there? Are you just going to do Route 66 or kind of take the roads back? or? Um, right now, the plan is to ride my bike back, mm-hmm. but, you know, my body and bike could say different things at that time or any time along the way. Um, but if all goes well, I'll ride the bike back, stay south, 
Uh, I've never been to the, you know, the Horn of, of Texas, yep. Corpus Christi, or, and uh, I've got family in Florida. And then I'll look for a clean snow shot running up uh, the Atlantic. And right, because you got to be careful with the the incoming uh, winter storms that could happen. Mm-hmm. It, Cause, yeah. cause you know, here we'll have October snow sometimes. It's going to be cold. Yeah, but it's you know it's doable if you just blast through and don't hit bad road surfaces. Yeah. I think. So this kind of leads into trip planning. What have you done to mitigate? risk mechanically body wise uh you know etc whatever yeah. you need in advance well um as far as mechanical parts i mean just keeping up with maintenance paying attention to you know what's known to fail or what's expected mm-hmm. to fail and you know preparing for that a little bit um starting out with fresh gear fresh fluids fresh drives uh so a big refresh on your drive trains. I got 8,000 miles on the bike. Okay. So it's time to do a lot of those updating. So you're, doing, you're leaving with a brand new chain and sprocket. Are you doing brakes yet? Or that's the uh, I'm brakes, new brake okay. lines are coming on right now. As a matter of fact, my bike's, I'm leaving Monday and my bike's still in a sling. <laughs> I'm putting on, uh, I'm updating the suspension and, uh, uh, yeah, a bunch of things. Because you're thinking ahead. You're not thinking about the 10,000 miles. You're thinking 15,000 miles ahead. What am right. I going to need and what can I avoid by doing by just doing it now? Sure. I have uh, a friend in Nashville. I've already ordered tires sent to his oh, house. Okay. So I'll be picking up tires there. I have another friend in Oregon, another mm-hmm. set of tires waiting. Okay. So I do make those. I plan I plan out uh, sprockets, chains, and tires. Okay. Oil changes, I, I take them as they come on the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a good interval on the 790, but I'll do it as needed is as I feel. Is it around 6,000 miles? 15,000, but I won't do it. <laughs> really? Yeah, it is. Wow. Yeah. But I don't, you know, I don't follow that, but I I, it's good to know you could if you needed to run it longer. Yeah, I, I rarely uh, would argue a manual, but that seems, that seems insanity. And are, I guess valves are every couple of years or 30,000 miles or so? Uh, I have to check. I think it's, it's 15,000. It's not Fair too bad. Right. I could be wrong on that, no. but. I, I will get any emails. Don't yeah. worry. Yeah. No one yeah. cares enough to correct me. Yeah. Um, and then I, I, one thing that made your writer report different is, and I alluded to earlier, is, is all of the talk you're doing about health and wellness, oh. uh, physical, mental health. Sure. You're, 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 a lot of guys will they'll leave their day job on a Friday, they'll throw on some overpriced climb gear and just head out into the woods without doing any cardio or any sort of, you know, nothing. You know, it's just, it's, (laughs) here I go. (laughs) Well, you know, if that's fine, if you're going out for an excursion or, you know, a short period of time and you're going to be challenged. But Mm -hmm. what, you know, since I'm going out for months at a time, I'm going to be physically challenged in a big way. So I I have to be able to, even though I haven't dropped the 790 yet, Uh, it's probably going to happen. So I got to be prepared to do that a number of times and just the endurance of riding. And that's part of what attracts me to it, Adam, is just, you know, the, the challenge of getting on your bike and reposting every day. Which it's got to harken back to, uh, this is kind of you, cause you, 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 you may or may not still be competitive, at least with yourself, you probably are, but yeah. it's almost like you're recreating, uh, an enduro race but adventure style, which yeah. means you're not going to be running up a mountain the fastest time possible, but you are kind of putting yourself and your and your bike through um, an unusual uh, trial. Well, I think there's probably some truth behind that. I like to I like to just I I don't really care if I fail, but I like to set the bar high. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, going back to the Four Corners and a Stinger ride, that was a twenty thousand mile ride. I was supposed to do with a friend of mine, but he ended up. Uh, 
with some health concerns that took him out of the picture, and I kind of went at it as an honor with him. Yep. But this ride's more for me, mm-hmm. and even though it's a long ride, it's it's about the stops, and there's even a more personal element, and that is I'm bringing along my wife's mother and father's ashes. Oh. And at certain places, because you know, Adam, when you ride along and you find these little spots mm-hmm. and they're just mind-blowing, Yeah. when I hit these spots, I'm going to commingle their ashes and cast them. And mm-hmm. that includes vistas, waterways, mm-hmm. any scenic byways, anything that's just that's great. great. And then I'm going to pinpoint those GPS coordinates and give them to my kids and my niece and nephew mm-hmm. so that maybe someday they could go on a road trip and follow yeah. that. So there's a little bit of that in there. Cool. Nice. Yeah, that we, we've I've seen that uh, in the Mozart community as well. We had a um, you know a, a very dear friend of our BMW club passed away last year, and uh, everyone in the club that's been a kind of a, a founding or charter member has these um, you know the Kodak film canisters. Uh, you know, everyone oh, received a small yeah. a small one. And they've, they've all kind of, it's basically, you know, if you go to a place that, that Ray would have liked to have visited or you go someplace and you think Ray would like this, this, this joint, right. uh, you know, do your, do your part. So that's, and that's happening. Um, so, so the, the, the choice to go from the 1200 to the 790, did any part of your experiences on the TAT a couple of years ago or your, uh, you know, previous off-road adventures calls you want to downsize or did you just want kind of a change of, of pace oh well <clears throat> all right so the tad in particular mm-hmm. i would tell you that 90 to 95 percent of the tat is completely doable and maybe even preferable mm-hmm. on a 1200 especially those long stretches <laughs> there's a lot of long stretches and you know it's a tractor up hills it's yeah. fantastic on gravel it handles fire roads mm-hmm. as good as any other bike yeah where I think a bike like that gets a little bit challenging is when you get into the soft sand and the mud. Mm-hmm. And that and soft sand is coming regardless of the weather, but yeah. mud can pop up on you at any time. Mm-hmm. And when you're riding alone, it 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 just gets to be arduous after a while. Yeah. So the decision is is uh, drop a bunch of weight, mm-hmm. put a 21 inch front wheel in front of me, yep. uh, improve the suspension two or threefold, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of perform- off-road performance, yep. and then uh, lighten up my gear. So I'm 200 pounds lighter on this trip wow, between that's, that's between bike and gear. It's a whole person not sitting behind you, basically. Their whole adult man's not sitting behind you. <laughs> that's a lot of weight off the bike. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, Which says how much I weigh my bike and combo weight <laughs> on the first time out. Well, you know, when we did, when we did Colorado last year for two weeks, the three of us— um, the first day, I was, you know, we're, we're adults. We're not trying to, you're not uh, showing, there's no ego. Mm. Uh, but there was sort of an, you know, Adam. There was a hill climb. You, you, you did you did bring the biggest bike that we've seen, you know, how dare you. But once we got into it, it actually, yeah. I, was, I was personally amazed of what the GSA could do. Yeah. Uh, you got to remember, you know, momentum is, is your friend. And it also can kill you if you're going down a hill too. But momentum is huge on those massive bikes. Yeah. Uh, but, but. The fact that we were there were three of us. The fact that we were unladen. I had nothing on my GS. Yeah. Uh, all of the passes we did on the GS were easy, yeah. you know. But to do it cross country with an extra hundred pounds of camping gear behind me might might be a different story. 
Well, I don't know. I was pretty impressed watching you ride up there. I, I was cheering you on. I, I when I saw you know I, I watched your videos, and when I saw you brought the twelve hundred, I was like, okay, okay, he's going for it. Um, and when I did the tat, I had zero drops in Colorado. Cool. You know, there's there's grip. There, yeah. I mean, it's rocky. It's a little tough, but there's grip out mm -hmm. there, so it's pretty good. And I think the GS loves that kind of terrain. Mm -hmm. So it, you've ridden enough in. Uh, the northern parts of New Hampshire and Maine, I assume, to maybe understand this a bit more, but I've told my West Coast friends that I was amazed how easy Colorado was to ride, or to ride, same with Moab, because of the rocks. Because yeah. you, in New Hampshire, you're going down a road, and it's just leaves, just leaves and a little piece of log, and it's six inches of mud. You can't tell until you hit it that it's, you know, you should have been over here, and it's very technical riding in the woods of New Hampshire. There's all kinds of little pockets of, of BS. It's well camouflaged. But in Colorado, <laughs> you're like, well, I'm not going to go that way. That's a that's a death trap. And then you just go the nice flat way. And it's, yeah. it's predictable. Yeah. Well, agreed. So back, so you've got the trip planned out. Um, you've got the bike chosen. Um, Modifications? Yeah. I'd like to kind of hear, in your, in your opinion, because everyone's going to have different opinions, uh, what were your top five things that you you that were un, un non-negotiable when it came to the the bike? I assume Navi tires or tire choices probably the first one of those. Yeah, uh, well, right ahead of tire choice for me is lighting. Mm -hmm. You know, a lighting choice not only to be conspicuous on that, uh, but also to give an advantage for darker times. So yeah. a good set of lights, tires, apps, tire choice. I mean, I think you play with that. Mm -hmm. So you 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 just go with a set, you try a set, yeah. and pick it out, but fresh tires for sure um upgrading my suspension was a big piece and uh maybe just changing the intake and output of the engine i mm -hmm. left the catalytic converter in and i have not used any electronic configuration of the engine so no power commander or fuel dongles or anything. no no you know and i don't ride in such a level of intensity that that was important for me Right. Yeah, I think a lot of people want to add more power, and, and they yeah. don't really uh, think about the rest of the components. I, but I will say with suspension, though, the question I would have is, were you focused more on making sure your uh, spring rate is, is relative to you, know, you and your gear, or were you more concerned about the compression ratio and sort of the responsiveness of going over rocks or sand and kind of having stability? Well, um, like a lot of people, uh, I got back pain, so I'm looking for comfort. And my, my next you know, on the list was going to be ergonomics. Yeah. So that includes the seat, the handlebars, or at least, you know, the positioning of the bars and the foot pegs and uh, picking out suspension for mainly for comfort, but also for load. So, yeah, I did choose something with a custom spring and also yeah. something that, you know, I, when you, you know this, when you go custom, you describe a lot of details to the mm -hmm. tuner and the result is supposed to get you started or, well in the direction of having something that's mm -hmm. comfortable yeah. and in, and really for what i'm looking for is i want four or five hours uh, over a period of time extra in the saddle because mm -hmm. of the suspension so yeah. i just want to add time of comfort yeah it's, a lot of the guys will say they want super soft plush ride but then that also means that you're bottoming out or you're not getting the response you need to roll over the rock and then steer the other direction it's just too sloppy yeah. and luckily tuners don't let don't send you the, 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 you can do what you want to after you receive it, but they don't usually send you a, a shock that is dialed down to nothing. No, if you've had good yeah. communication with them and they're, they know they're on top of the game, I think it works. Yeah. yeah. And feel free to pause and take a sip. If you take a sip of beer, I will, I will talk more while you're drinking. Uh, so well, quick question for you. Have you ridden the New England BDR yet? 
or parts of it? Or? I have done I have done Vermont, New Hampshire, okay. and then to Rangeley. Do you remember in Vermont, there's a long straightaway through a national forest that comes to a, a bridge that doesn't really have sides, has a little bit of a lip to it? Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I have to tell you, when I went, when I saw that, I was good straightaway, and I saw mm-hmm. the ramp, and I was like, okay. I'm going to elevate just a little bit. You know, I got a skiing background and mm-hmm. enduro motorcycle background. So I clipped along a little bit, and little did I know I had a little bit of a lip at that bridge, and that 790 cleared the entire bridge in another six feet. <laughs> and uh, I came down, and it was just doom. Wow. Yeah. With the new shocks, you're saying? Yeah. No, with oh, the stock set up that was last fall, and it blew nice. me away. Yeah. Because when you see um, a GS doing any kind of jump at all, you see just a full complete. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way a stock GS can, yeah. can do that. And I guess maybe the, Not 790- really. the 790S probably yeah. would have fully compressed because they all have a different uh, yeah. setup. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I was blown away by it. I really was. Because like you said, I mean, I've had the GS off the ground, but it, it comes down hard. And... <laughs> uh, I'm sure every 790 or 890 uh, owner has made the decision, even if you can afford it, uh, to not buy the rally version. You know, if you look at the rally, um, and I'm I'm putting words in your mouth, this is my assumption, if I look at the rally versus the 790, 890R as they are, I feel like if I had purchased a rally version of those, even if I had the money, I still would have done the suspension and the spring. So you're still yanking the shocks off to spring it to yourself. You're still adding yeah. the AXP skid plate. You're still doing stuff to it. So it's like it's money saved and bling and some colors, but the suspension will not come from KTM built for you or I, even though you spend an extra five grand. Well, I mean, I suppose it's limited availability for that particular model, and if that's a starting point for you, I would imagine you'd get it tuned too. But, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. You know, it's... I. For me, I, I was interested in the bike when it first came out. I washed it for a year, mm-hmm. and I said had an opportunity to pick one up at a pretty decent price, so I just said, okay, I'm doing it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, I've got a... I'm sure you saw the video in Colorado of Neil on his 790R. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't ridden one yet, uh, and I'm guessing if I, if I see you next summer, I'm sure we could do a swap for a, sure. an hour or something. Uh, what, Husky. What is your, well, and I can I can definitely go into that. But what what is uh, what is your favorite quality of that of the 790 or 890R that uh, is was surprising to you from you know, when you first wrote it? Well, I'm going to answer that this way. <clears throat> I think the uh, BMW 1200 or 1250 mm-hmm. is probably so good on the road mm-hmm. and decent off road. Yeah. And the yeah. 790 is the opposite. It's mm. so good off-road. Mm-hmm. Last year, I I was in Maine uh, finishing the New England BDR mm-hmm. and uh, carrying some pretty decent speed with good tire pressure, when I say good low, mm-hmm. and I couldn't believe how well that bike just hugged the corners and gave yeah. me a ton of confidence. I knew it wasn't going to kick out, and if it did, I knew I could bring it back. Yeah, plus it, I, I've heard that they do a really great job with the uh, the customizable traction control ABS settings where you can give, it, it will give you as much or little as you want it to. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sold on setting three, mm-hmm. which is, it, it gives you a lot of play, but it'll save you if you get sideways. Yep. It, it might have saved me in Oklahoma. <laughs> cool. Um, so I, I'm going to monologue here for a second because it comes down to, um, you know, a 
lot of I, I, I come across folks who have purchased the bikes such as yours or any other bike um, with the intention of taking that that trip it could be the one you're taking this year it could be the one you took two years ago but I, I meet just as many people who never took that trip uh, and they you know for whatever reason and, and things happen you know family members pass away you might lose your job your retirement is pushed back because the market you know whatever happens in your life it's all it's like the, the whole buying for a house thing you know you I can't tell you what's gonna happen with your life versus mine but did do you I guess the question I'm trying to ask is not how you found the time to get away for so long but were there life things that you know curveballs that came your way in the last 12 months that if you were less strong of a person probably would have had you canceling things is that the right yeah sure sure yeah well without a doubt I mean I, I think one of the things that uh, I, I am confident about myself is that I, I can be pretty tenacious when I set a goal mm-hmm. um, so when I when I when I envision something it I kind of put it out far enough where I can make it realistic mm-hmm. um, and yeah and uh, sure it, I mean I found out two weeks ago that I had sun cancer on my face and mm-hmm. I had to go have that cut off they gave me 10 or 12 stitches I Wow. I just got those stitches out the day before. I can't yeah. even tell. Yeah, you pointed out, I could see it. But. Well, it's hidden in my my uh, overspray of hair on my face <laughs> right now. But and then uh, little health things, yeah. So there are. So I'm 55 years old, and one of the things you have to do, especially being married, is assure your partner that you're as good as you can be when you go. So you mm-hmm. get a health check. And mm-hmm. sometimes things come up, and. Yeah. Uh, uh, for example, I had, uh, it's a little personal, but I had uh, an EKG last week, and mm-hmm. they found a little something on it, so they wanted to schedule a stress test. Well, you know, unfortunately for me, they didn't have a stress test available in the short amount of time that mm-hmm. this is all transpiring. And I said, don't worry, I have stress test coming up. <laughs> it's 15,000 miles of off-road. <laughs> you could follow me along my progress. I'll change my icon to a pulsing heart. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, so... I've had a, a ton of guys in the BMW scene when I talk to them have said that they, uh, the guys that are 60 or so and older, they're all returning back to riding because yeah. their kids are just now done with college. And so they basically, you know, they rode dirt bikes or whatever up to 21, 22 years old, had kids, sold the bikes on their back. And now they're saying to me, oh, you're 34, go now. Mm. Don't, don't sell your bike at 34 and come back at 55 and try this because it's not going to be the same experience. Do you, do you you're, you're proving that's not the, that's not the case, but well, I, I just my personal philosophy has always been do it now, mm-hmm. because if 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 you can make something happen and it's important to you, because we have to make sacrifices for work, we got to make sacrifices yeah. for other people and things like that. But I personally think that if you if you want to do it, you just have to just decide you're going to do it and mm-hmm. do it. Um, for me, I've got this ride coming up. I'm going to dedicate the next year uh, around my home space. Mm-hmm. And then I'm probably going to go four or five years and mm. be gone Yeah, with just flybacks. Yeah. Um, are there landmarks along this trip that you've, you've, thought, you've seen online that you've thought in advance? It'd be cool to go by this spot if I can. Uh, new spots that... Be, I've done the tent before, but... Um, Geez, you know, nothing that I think that would ring out except just to get a good taste of Idaho. Mm-hmm. Idaho um, is probably, in my opinion, the most surprising state in the mm-hmm. United States. 
Its yeah. terrain is just so varied and crazy. And uh, oh, I, I guess the other part of that, Adam, is that uh, I'm bringing a fly fishing rod. Yeah. And so I plan to fish for sport and occasionally for food if necessary. Mm -hmm. And I want to compel myself to take the time and stop and get a license and fish. Yeah. I was going to joke, actually, I was going to make a, a, a bad joke that you were going to, you probably spent months of time uh, getting all your licenses in order and having everything, because yeah. <laughs> honestly, when you're out, when you're out on like BLM sort of lands and there's a creek, I mean, it's, it's, if you're there mm -hmm. for sport, the odds of someone going by and checking your paperwork is slim to none. Well, yeah, there's something to be said for that, but I think for the most part, you know, I, I try to play by the rules. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a disabled vet and part of part of that entitles me to some fishing opportunities in different okay. states yep. so I just have the proper credentials to uh, mm -hmm. to do that when I want to okay yep yeah. um, where is and this is something that is very premature but what is your where's your mind at when it comes to the next trip what do you what have you already have you, some guys want to do Baja yeah. Some the trans Labrador, some guys want to go to Alaska and right at the top. You know, what is there anything in your mind that's a bucket list item that would be a, a five year plan to get done? Well, uh, yeah, I need to leave the border. Okay. Uh, um, in, I'm gonna go out to Coronado, California to swim for three months mm -hmm. in January, February, March, and I will do Baja, mm -hmm. but that's just for a taste yeah. because I want to, I'll go back up to Alaska, mm -hmm. I want to go back up to Prudhoe Bay, and I'm going to Tierra del Fuego. Yeah. I might take the 790. I might take the 500. Mm -hmm. I haven't decided how much, how many oil changes yeah. I want to do. <laughs> I always forget that you have. The, aren't there, aren't there some uh, oil capacity enlargers you can get for the 500s? Yeah. Because it's, it's like 1.1 liter or something. Is the I think capacity. what I would do is the best I can, and consider that I'm not racing it. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm using it more as a touring bike, yep. revving it up on occasion, yep. and uh, so. I won't torture it too much. I, I know with the Beta 500, the manual said every five, the sun is coming out. Uh, nice. It said every 30 hours for the oil change intervals. But if you talk to any dealer or call Beta USA, they're like, you know, it's it's, it's 100 hours if yeah. you're really not. Yeah. Ch check to make sure you're not burning oil. Sure. Don't burn it dry. But if you can see oil in the sight glass, you're you're probably fine. Yeah. Uh, and I, I ended up doing, I did the whole every 50 hours valve checks. They were always in spec. Uh, the spark plugs were every 80 hours, and those had weren't weren't you know the the, the the diodes were healthy. I mean, I was riding like a dual sport, and I never had any yep. over overkill of maintenance. Yeah, well, you're meticulous too, no. keeping keeping track of that stuff. Uh, I know. I'll add too that the manual also says 120 160 hours for a top end. Yeah. Again, like there's a guy with 400 hours on his and. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, for a single cylinder, I'm kind of excited to put, take it out, put it on the bench, and open it up and yeah. get inside there. You know, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Well, people don't realize our winters here are so long that you have time to. I, I, I've got my. This is a GS problem. I've got a failed heated seat on my GS from Sargent, and the, I saw the guy at the rally last week, and I said, you know, "Here's the problem." He said, "Oh, just send it to me." I said, "I'll send it to you in November." Yeah, I'm right. not sending any parts off for repair in July because yeah. you'll get it back to me in August, and I'm without a seat for two months. Yeah. Uh, during prime riding. Hmm. Uh, we are at 36 minutes, by the way. Right. Um, when I interviewed... I'm uh, happy to go. 
I mean, happy to go more. Yeah, I interviewed a guy on uh, last week at the MOA rally, and we went for an hour and forty minutes. And I, at the hour mark, I was like, "Oh, this is this is this is too long." Well, I just wanted to sort of share a couple of things that uh, um, we should talk a little bit about lodging, camping Mm -hmm. along the way on a trip like this, and meeting people. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I don't know if. From what I can tell, I'm not sure yet that a lot of your rides, you're fortunate to have friends who have the same time and can go mm-hmm. together. And I know that you've got a lot of planning and <clears throat> hotels are part of that and yeah. camping is part of that. And you do all of that. But as a solo rider, mm-hmm. Adam, you'd be surprised how many times you're invited mm. to come back to someone's place to camp in their backyard, yep. to, you know, to have an extra room and... Uh, I can't say that it's an actual strategy of mine, but when I am dead out of options, mm-hmm. I'll go to a local pub and sit down and just start talking and say, where can I pitch a tent? Mm-hmm. And th- that may or may not evolve. One quick story about that. Yeah. I was on the GS uh, early on back in 2015 or so, and I was going through someplace in Iowa, mm-hmm. and I stumbled into an Irish community. Mm-hmm. And... Um, if you've worked with the Navigator 5, you know sometimes it's your friend and sometimes it's your enemy. <laughs> so yeah. I, I set out to find the uh, Red Barn Grill and Saloon. Mm-hmm. And I put the faith in the Navigator, and I'm following along. It's getting a little darker. And you wouldn't know, but I was pretty hilly in mm-hmm. some spots. And it's taking me on a left and a right, and then we lose the pavement. I'm in gravel, which I'm okay with. And then we're losing <laughs> the street lights, and I'm like, okay. It, <laughs> Am I going to go to somebody's house? <laughs> is, this, is this taking me to a house? Yeah. But uh, just when I'm ready to give up, out of the corner of my eye, I spot a flashing neon Budweiser sign. <laughs> the Red uh, Barn Grill and Saloon. I pull up, get off the GS. I'm taking my jacket off, taking my helmet off. And this guy buzzes up in a golf cart <laughs> with a straw hat with a band around it. He had a green polo shirt on, uh, white hair like really white hair, and he was probably like 5'3", mm-hmm. and he gets out and he goes, you're in Melrose, Iowa, Irish community, and uh, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And he goes, what are you doing? I said, riding my motorcycle. He goes, where are you staying? I said, I'm not sure. He goes, you can have my brother's place. He's gone for the day. Follow me. And he brought me down to his brother's house, opened it up. Here's the coffee maker. Here's the refrigerator. Here's what you need to take a shower. Leave the key in the coffee can. And uh, I did all that and then went and saw him at the bar and had a beer. Cool. I, I know at Lizzie Adventure Rider Radio, uh, that's been the standard for everyone, is the solo travelers probably have the most fun because they meet the most people and find the, they say the most money on lodging. Because yeah. you and I roll into town, uh, it's, someone's less likely to say, come into my house and I'll feed you because there's two of you. It's, right. it's a, I don't know. You're set. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. But the solo traveler gets a little bit more... Um, You're approachable, yeah. and conversation starts. And for some reason, people want a little piece of it at that yeah. moment. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of neat. Well, it, there was a... Man, this is 10 years ago now, but a guy that was um, walking across country with a cart for charity. Uh, and this was back before... They were really... Facebook and Instagram weren't really... And this is, he, was really, he had a WordPress blogger, a blogger blog. But he was in someone's front or backyard every single day. He'd be walking through town, uh-huh. someone would stop asking what he was doing, and the next minute he had food and a place to sleep. That's and nice. this happened to him every day for like, you know, 90 or 100 days he was doing the trip. Yeah. Um, so and, I, I can understand. And then I have just found a picnic table, laid out my cot, sleeping bag, air mattress, 
and uh, uh, a cover and call it a night. Yeah. There are very few bugs in the West. Are you a tent or a hammock guy? I can't sleep in a hammock more than a couple nights in a row. Okay. It's, uh, so I, I can handle a hammock for a snooze or an afternoon, mm -hmm. but I, I, it's not a long-term solution. So what I do is I have a lightweight cot, mm -hmm. and I put an air mattress on it. So I, for, for me, this isn't probably typical of everybody, but I need flat time on my ride. Okay. So I will occasionally take two days, three days in a row and just be flat until, yeah. I, until I'm up again. I, well, it's, it's related to that, but I do it from a sort of a mental overload standpoint where after about eight days of touring, I need two days in one spot. Yeah. Where I start making dumb mistakes, I start missing exits, I miss the kickstand, things... It's almost like I'm not myself after eight days of, of nonstop movement. Yeah, plus you eat better if you mm -hmm. sit for a, in one spot for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. So yeah. we'll do two days of camping. And then you, and there's something that has to be said about laying all your gear completely dry out, oh. and not having to pack up your stuff at 6 a.m. You have a full extra day to sort of just mm -hmm. rest. Yeah, I hate packing uh, wet okay. gear. I, my, my setup, I can set up camp in you know, 30 minutes or better, mm -hmm. but getting out of camp, it's all about packing dry gear. Yeah. We have a photo on the TransLab because I, I was watching that video, the video series back. Um, we were it rained on for like five straight days, and uh, we pulled into Colebrook, which is in um, uh, Newfoundland, and um, we got a hotel room. And it was the cheapest hotel in town. You could definitely could tell it was the cheapest hotel in town. But they had, luckily for us, they had this exposed uh, irrigation for the fire system. The pipe. Okay. And so we just had all of our stuff. Oh, hanging. It yeah. Was like Tent City. Of yeah. Newfoundland. Nice. <laughs> Uh, but it worked. I mean, everything yeah. was dried out. It, it, it totally reset us mentally to have a, a warm shower and a dry, dry gear. Sure. And, and another fun thing about doing the long distance riding or any, or even doing any kind of motor camping repeatedly is you learn all those little tricks. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whether it's how to dry your boots or, you know, using if you go into a hotel, using your towels to dry your stuff off, mm -hmm. or if you're camping, use your coffee grounds to clean your frying pan. Little stuff like that. It's kind of fun. I was watching MotoGP on Sunday, and I had never noticed this before, but the guys, when they come out of their, their truck and they're waiting for the, the race to start, they all drop their gloves on these little wands, and the wands are blowing out cold air. Oh, really? Drop it, it's a little, you know, it's, and it's things we've always done with, like, AC units or fans yeah. and stuff for our wet gloves. But right. It's funny the MotoGP guy, guys have their little glove-drying station right next to their helmet. Yeah, well, that would be kind of nice, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, but they're, they're paid a lot more than us. Uh, what was there an area that you wanted to, to focus on? Is it just generally gear you're packing? To well, a little, maybe just a tiny bit on logistics and in yeah. gear if you want to. But logistics, you know, just um, just a quick rundown of what a typical day is for. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can set out with all the plans you want, yeah. and one of the interesting things about that or the challenges is you can say for yourself, okay. I plan to do the New England BDR in 10 days, mm -hmm. and then I'll do this, and then I'll do that. And next thing you know, there's a weather event, there is mm -hmm. a mechanical breakdown, and the campground you thought you could get to yep. at that particular day, you can't reach. Mm -hmm. And the minute you do that, you are completely out of your planning and rhythm, and you either have to hold back jump ahead or change your thing so what ends up happening for me because that's going to happen yeah um is i'll typical typical day is to wake up break camp have a little coffee and get on the trail as soon as i'm dry mm -hmm. sometime around lunchtime yep. i'll stop i love to eat local food i will not eat at a chain mm -hmm. if i'm out on the road um and then i'll break out google earth 
-hmm. of look ahead in the terms of distance I think I can ride that day feasibly. I'll search for campgrounds. Uh, If I can find something that's federal or state, that's my Mm -hmm. first choice. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I will look at private campgrounds, make a phone call, send the coordinates over to my helmet, Mm -hmm. finish up lunch, pay the tab, jump on, and ride to the campground. Repeat. I've noticed that camping has changed for a lot of us because private campgrounds almost are giving away spots to motorcycles, I've found, because they've already made their 10 grand a day on RVs, and you'll, you can, they can put you anywhere. They can put you in the back corner. And so I found if I roll in and say, I don't want a spot, I just want some place to sleep with a one-person tent, uh, yeah, behind the shed over there. It's kind of funny how that's the RVs are... are it's, 90% of the capacity of the RVs now. Sure. Yeah, right now, you're right, especially right, I think, coming out of COVID, there's a lot of people traveling that way. Mm-hmm. So you're right. You can you can sort of, especially as a solar rider, almost always found a, find a spot in a overfull campground mm-hmm. unless it's state or federal. Then it's oh, they usually... they put you in a spot. They're just less flexible. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the image that we have of the family in the station wagon with the... the the Walmart 10 or kind of the, you know, in the, the igloo cooler. I mean, it's everyone is in their 40-foot pull-behinds now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I'm not anti-RV, uh, especially in the BMW or Adventure Touring world. You see a lot of guys that just don't want to sleep on the ground anymore. Sure. The guy's 75 years old, can afford a Sprinter van, can afford to put a two-stroke in the back of it. Why the hell not? You know, why? Uh-huh. He's, not, he's not less entitled to go to the rally than I am just because he has a four-wheeler or four-wheel drive. Um, but it, but it, at the MLA rally in Montana last week, um, the campsite, the, the tents were all like one foot apart space. I mean, there was no room to even walk. It was tight, anymore huh? Because we had a mile or so of RVs. Wow. Uh, and then you got this little section over here of, of tents, you know, so the, the 60% of people that were camping in tents uh, were really squeezed together. Well, I, I don't know. I, you know, an RV has its place. You know, for me, it's in my rear view. If yeah. I can, if I can handle it. If you're not behind it, you're gonna feel the helmet shake. <laughs> That's so much buffeting behind a big block like that. How are you? Um, you mentioned when we first sat down that you were kind of looking more into compression sacks or cubes. I mean, how, how are you? Oh, packing is up. Is everything in your in your uh, soft luggage in its own compartment and is all sure. squeezed down? Well, what I've learned from you know the, the last hundred thousand miles of doing this stuff is to pack in terms of how deep into my kit I need to get for what I'm doing. Oh, okay. yeah. So there is typical stuff I'll do during the day that I only want to have to do one buckle or one zipper and get mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. And then if I go deeper, I don't want to fish around for anything. And in the past, I've you know sort of used to just stuff it in, be, you know, don't use a packing cube or anything like that. But I tried the packing cube route, and what I like about it is when I go into my bag, I don't have an avalanche of all the other kit filling the void I just emptied and ended up being, you know, just a tumble of stuff after a while. Mm -hmm. So I've figured out to compartmentalize my stuff based on how I use it. And a lot of that has to, again, how deep I get into it on the road. So like your tire, your tire kit is probably the bottom of your, your well, thing. I have, I have two tool spots. Okay. I have one for mechanical failures. So for deep stuff that I have to fix. And because mm-hmm. now I'm on a chain drive system, I have a bag outside that has chain tools, chain lube, every road trail side service, mm-hmm. a little trail stand, everything there. Um, I'll have a, a, 
a hatchet and a small saw to clear brush downs, but those are right on the top. My fly fishing kit, right on the outside, reel, mm-hmm. pole, staff, ready to go. Yeah. Um, and the tarp. Mm-hmm. Once I get into my duffel, that's the first thing that comes out. And after that, a tent and so on. And yeah. I, So you get the idea. Yeah. I remember the... <laughs> When we were in uh, uh, Labrador, I had my um, my bug net like right on the side of my tank bag, right there, ready to grab. So if you stop looking at a map, the, before you look at the map, oh you put the bug net over your helmet because they're just going to start getting into little crevices <laughs> and all of a sudden. Fl- so it, it all comes down to the the need and necessity of how fast you need to get to something. Right. Uh, I like always having some some peanuts or trail mix that are kind of within arm's reach too. You're stopping to look at a map and you're. You have a handful of peanuts. Yeah, I can't remember, but I think you have a modular helmet. Uh, I have a full face, and yep. it's just really hard to eat like peanuts. <laughs> well, I've tried; you end up just dropping them into your shirt. So, uh, I do. I do. I have both. Um, I, I. It's funny because I, I own the modular helmet. I have a modular too. I like it. I rarely it. use it for modular helmets because, and I show you my gear before we leave. But before I got this GoPro mount. The GoPro used to be mounted um, in a way I couldn't open my helmet because it would cut the microphone off. I gotcha. Yeah. So for two years, I had a modular helmet that I never opened because yeah. of the GoPro setup. You were mic locked. <laughs> yeah. Um, but now I have it where it'll, it'll, it'll move with the, with the helmet. Well, on that same note, you know, I, I try to make an effort to record my experiences, mostly in writing because it's sort of my background, but mm-hmm. also with uh, video and with still photography especially. Mm-hmm. So I'll bring, I'm bringing a little tiny drone, you know, the DJI Mini, yep. uh, the unregistered kind, yeah. and uh, <laughs> stuff like that. So, and I bring a complement of GoPros mm-hmm. to, to keep going. And I, I love having a, an aft GoPro, if for no other reason, to indicate to traffic behind me that you might be being watched. <laughs> so. Yeah, I had that, I had, for our Tennessee trip four years ago for Taylor Dragon, we did all the, the kind of the clay stuff around the Tennessee area. I had a, a, a GoPro session on the back of the bike, and the USB-C ran to it. And, I had, and it has a loop feature, which is constantly loop recording. And um, I got some good footage out of that, actually, just having the backwards. There was one point where, it, never would have caught it otherwise, but I rooster-tailed a bunch of clay onto my buddy, who was trying to help me out of a hole. But I had the GoPro footage of him just getting covered, drenched in mud. Yeah, that's kind of fun. <clears throat> um, it, and it is worth talking about because I was, I've got a pet project where next year's BMW rally, which is taking place in Springfield, Missouri, um, around June or so in the Ozarks. Um, I want to do a seminar where I invite people like yourself who um, capture the trip in some kind of form, either written, spoken, or, or videoed word, um, and talk to them about what, what that cadence is like for you know living in the moment versus living for having it 10 years from now and that balancing act you have to play well uh, that sounds interesting it's just you know <clears throat> i don't know i mean if you got if you have the time and the opportunity uh do it now because you know there's no promise that it's going to be later mm-hmm. i've yeah i've had uh, a couple of unique opportunities on the road where i've met um two riders one was a gentleman, I'm going to say he was in his early 90s, and he was on a, a Big Bird yellow um, Goldwing uh, 1000 or whatever it is, 1300, and he was in South Dakota, and we had a chat on the side of the road, 
and he was just staring out into the horizon. And uh, there was a faraway look on him. And when I delved a little deeper, I found out it was his last ride. Mm. He was on his last mm. ride. And then I had another occasion in, in Illinois or somewhere, and a gentleman came to my breakfast table, sat down, and uh, revealed to me that his doctor told him he couldn't ride anymore. And, you know, those little moments, they, they, they strike you a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> and they encourage you to just, okay, do it if yeah. you can. Mm-hmm. That's probably a good place to, to end, but I, I, sure. I don't, I don't want to not do justice to the fact that you're, you know, about to head on this 15,000-mile ride, which... Plus another five to get home. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so, in, in, but in the grand scheme of things, in, in, sorry, in your world, in, in your in your scheme, it's 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 probably your biggest trip ever, I assume, right? Yeah, it's going to be. It's maybe not in mileage, but it's going to be in sort of uh, the arduous expectation, Ex- but heat. For, but for a lot of people, it's a ride they'll probably never take. That's that's what the, the part yeah. of the mystique of this kind of uh, episode is. Is it would be great to chat with you, you know, over the winter time and figure out yep. what you learned while you were gone. Uh, I'm happy to come back. And, and, you know, possibly talk a bit about, um, it's not about the mechanical learnings. It's like, you know, what you learned about various places, about yourself, or, you know, et cetera, sure. et cetera. Um, any parting words for those that are, are listening in? Do you get, can they, can they follow, follow your ride report? How do, how do they find it? Well, um, I am going to start a ride report next week, uh, first week of July. Uh, my um, handle or moniker for AdventureRider.com is Akia Seki, mm-hmm. and I'm sure the ride report will appear somewhere on the first page with something about the U.S. dirty, dirty. <laughs> And uh, you're welcome to follow along there. And what I'll do is I'll title this with your adventure writer handle so people at least can spell it and they can okay. know where to find it. Um, and, and you got the YouTube channel, but I'm sure you'll just put it all in that one ride report. I'm, I'm going to try to do better with YouTube. Um, I just haven't invested my energy into figuring out what I want to do with the channel. Mm-hmm. But uh, this time around, I'm going to try to at least put s- some more footage up and see what happens. And maybe an edited product at some point. People have asked me... You know what what the YouTube goal is for me. Like, is it to yeah. make millions of dollars, be an influencer, get free stuff? I always tell. I always, and I, I'm generationally removed from this statement. So yeah. please correct me if I'm speaking out of my, out of my element. But when people back in the 50s, 60s, published zines, okay. zines were not published to become millionaires. Zines yeah. were a creative expression of whatever you were interested in. You yeah. and your friend would publish a zine together. It was probably free. Yeah. Out of the rock club. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't to be a Fortune magazine. It was a zine. Well, that's, and that's how I see my YouTube channel. It's it's my own zine. Right. If any money comes from it, cool. Yeah. But if none, it's not. I'm not measuring yeah. it on subscribers or videos or followers. Yeah, I think you've done a good job with your channel. You have some informative content on there, some funny content on there, and and uh, I appreciate it for sure. And for for me, I, I have zero interest in monetizing YouTube. It's yeah. just about sharing stuff I see. Mm-hmm. An experience I've had. So who knows? We'll see what happens there. The writing is where I'm going to put my energy. Well, I will definitely uh, I'll link to your stuff and hope you will follow along. And uh, I guess I'll chat with you again in December when you're back. Outstanding. Thanks for inviting me. Appreciate it.